if you if you're just visiting, if you haven't come uh, ready to do that, then just pass them on. Don't feel bad. Don't feel bad that at all. Just let them go by. Um, we're going to all be in together as Rich uh, speaks to us. So there's uh, definitely some good stuff, kids, especially that you're going to hear this morning in terms of truth from God's word. So I'd encourage you to make sure you're listening. And if you need any help or anything, free to feel free to ask uh, a, a, an adult that's with you. Uh, and, uh, uh, and for parents, you know, we, we're, we're family here. We entirely understand that kids get a bit restless on occasions. And, uh, uh, and if you need to, if there's a bit of background noise, then don't worry about that at all. Uh, if they get a bit raucous, then feel free to just take them out into the, the cafe there to settle them and bring them back in. And, uh, and if you don't believe me, uh, that re- I just want to say it really is true, that we really don't mind a bit of background noise. And I, we really do want you to be in here, being relaxed, being part of the family, so that everyone can hear the word of God that Rich is now going to bring to us. <laughs> Good afternoon. Look at the clock. We'd like to be turning to Mark chapter 16. Back in October, we started back in Mark's gospel. We started uh, where Dan had previously left off, and we started in Mark chapter 11. We've looked at these last six chapters of Mark's gospel. And back then, when... Dan planned out who's going to be preaching when and what's going to happen. It fell that Mark chapter 16, verse 1 to 8, would fall on Easter Sunday. (sighs) Wonderful. But we've been looking at these chapters in a series entitled The Way of the Cross. I'm going to read the verses and we'll we'll get started. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. They asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. Like I said, we've been looking at this last week of Jesus' life leading up to the cross uh, since October time. And we got to the cross Uh, A few weeks ago, Dan led us through and then Tom carried it on, seeing Jesus hung on the cross for us. That's where we've been headed. That's been the focus. 
It's been as Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 1. That is our message. Jews demand signs and Greeks. This is 1 Corinthians 1, 22. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And we got there and we saw Jesus dying for us. Jesus in our place. Jesus drinking the cup of God's wrath against sin. We gazed in wonder. We were kneeling in awe. But in coming to the cross, we have to keep going. We have to keep going and we have to get here. And as we've seen the women standing by the cross and the women who saw Joseph putting Jesus in the tomb, we have to join the women again and go to the tomb on the Sunday morning. Dan spoke of, a few weeks ago of the shards of light breaking in as we look at this dark moment as Jesus hung on the cross, but yet there we can see the shards of light breaking in. And the truth that lots of people have shared on Facebook, those, that now famous line that Shadrach, Meshach, Lockridge famously preached, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Well, that's the truth. Sunday came. Sunday came. The truth that's proclaimed in these verses, Jesus is not here, he is risen. And actually, as Ginny prayed out earlier, this changes everything. And as we look on these verses, we see Friday afternoon in the light of Sunday morning. And we see the glory of the cross in the light of the wonder of the resurrection. You see, Mark's focus in these verses is simply this. Jesus isn't in the tomb. He is alive. We've seen up to now how Mark does not waste his words. Mark doesn't go over the top in using lots of, uh, lots of words to describe things. And in these last chapters, we've seen him focusing our attention as he slows right down. Look, here is Jesus in his glory on the cross. The suffering servant, the glorious king, the wonderful saviour. Look again. Here is Jesus laid in the tomb. He really did die. He had to die. But look again. Here is Jesus who really is alive. He is not here. He has risen. So let's look. Mark picks up again, showing us the women's faithful service. Verse 1 and 2. We see the twelve are scattered. They're nowhere to be seen. Yet at the cross, we saw these three women standing, looking. They're there, watching on as Jesus dies on the cross. We see in uh, Mark 15, verse 40, some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. And went on, as Dan told us last week, they followed him. They cared for his needs. They've been with him from Galilee. They've been with him all the way. Then at the burial, again, as we saw last week in verse 47, who's there? Joseph rolls the stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. And now... The very next verse, 
when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. You see here, early on Sunday morning, Mary, Mary and Salome, they're still serving faithfully. They're still trying to do the best they can. They're still trying to give everything they have for their saviour, for their Lord, for the one that they have followed all the way. And so they find themselves walking to the tomb. They've got their spices that they've brought once the Sabbath was over, probably late on the Saturday evening, once the sun had set. They're prepared. They're prepared to anoint a dead body. They're prepared to find Jesus' body. But hang on, who will move the stone? Ah, perhaps they weren't 100% prepared. But again, just as we're starting into this passage, once again we see the faithful serving example of these women. These wonderful disciples, they're devoted, they're going for it. Even though everything's not planned out, how will we move the stone? I don't know. We're going. We're going. We're going to get there. We're going to, we're going to do what we can. We can buy spices. We can go and give Jesus a proper burial. There wasn't time on the Friday. In the middle of their grief and struggle, they're still pressing on. They're still faithful. I can bring this. I can serve him in this way. It's a beautiful example that Mark draws our attention to over these verses. But here, what will they do? What will they do? And again, Mark doesn't waste any time. Very next verse. But they look up. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they look up, in that moment, they begin to see everything has changed. They had a problem associated with a dead Jesus. How are we going to move the stone to get to the body? Now they see a sight that speaks of something else entirely. And over the next couple of verses, Mark screams it out line after line. There is no body to prepare. He's alive. We've seen already, although some would have argued it, oh, maybe maybe they went to the wrong tomb. No, Mark makes it very clear. Verse 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. It's the next verse that they're on their way to the tomb. These women know where they're going. That's the first sign. It's not the wrong tomb. Secondly, Mark tells us the stone, which was very large, was moved away. Mark doesn't focus on anything else surrounding this. Matthew will go into detail about there was an earthquake and angels came down and moved it and all this happened. Mark just said, look, the door is, em- is open. Thirdly, when they get into the tomb, in verse 5, they don't find Jesus. Instead, they find a young man in white. They find an angel. And yet again, Mark, in his understated way, a young man dressed in white. There's none of Luke's Uh, more descriptive uh, account of a sudden appearance of angels, of them being dressed in clothes like lightning. No, Mark's point is this, plain and simple. Jesus isn't there, this man is instead. They don't find Jesus, they find this man. And then focuses on his words for two more things. In verse 6, he points out the empty place. Look, he's not here, this place is empty. The tomb not only open, but it's empty as well. 
And then centrally, the angel's wonderful declaration. He has risen. He is not here. So this so clearly, so obviously is Mark's focus. That this was his tomb, yes, but now it's open, it's empty, he's gone. He's alive. Why then is this Mark's focus? Because this changes everything. Because this changes everything. It's interesting seeing uh, Mark Rushworth, for one, I think others posted a link to an article in The Guardian this week which uh, some uh, writer for The Guardian was talking about the evidence for Jesus having lived and died, and they concluded, well, the evidence is clear, that we shouldn't be asking the question whether Jesus lived and died. The only question left to ask is whether he died and lived. This is what is completely key. This is the complete... This, this is the moment that changes everything. And we see events in history and in films and in books, moments that change, everything changes in a moment. Earlier this week, we visited Liverpool, we went to one of the museums there, and there was this display about the Titanic. If ever there's an event where in a moment everything changed, from a pleasant cruise across the Atlantic to New York, maybe maybe hopes of a new life to begin as they got across to America, in one moment suddenly we're in a fight for survival. As the iceberg, the iceberg plowed, the ship plowed into an iceberg. Or perhaps, as we saw in that museum, perhaps, perhaps the moment that changed everything was the simple moment when the second officer who had been on the ship from Belfast to Southampton, but he wasn't going on the trip across the Atlantic, walked off the ship with the key to the binoculars cabinet in his pocket. Maybe. A moment that changed everything. Or yesterday, more trivially, we went as a family to watch Beauty and the Beast. But again, if you're in any way familiar with that film, the moment at the end of the film which changes everything as Belle declares her undying love to the beast. And suddenly a castle that was going to be filled with enchanted candlesticks and clocks and whatever else for all of time, suddenly they're all human again. Suddenly everything's changed. Now this moment is not trivial in the slightest, but it's a moment in which everything changes. It's a moment in which everything, everything changes. Might look like a simple scene. We could rush on and say, yeah, we know. Yeah, Jesus rose. The tomb was empty. But let's stop and wonder. Because this does change everything. We see that firstly for the women in the story. They're going to honour their fallen leader. We've seen many, time, many, many examples in recent times of people honouring dead celebrities, dead politicians. There's been obituary after obituary after obituary over the last year of high-profile, prominent people. People wanted to honour those and what they've done in their life. These women are going to honour Jesus. They're going to give him the burial that he deserves. But as they go to honour their fallen leader, they don't find a body. They find that their leader is alive. They think it's over. 
and yet it's just beginning. They find there is no body to care for, there's a saviour to follow. In their search for a body, they find instructions of where to go instead. So firstly, what we see is that he's alive and we can follow him. Because the truth is, the truth of the resurrection is we don't worship a dead hero. We don't honour some dead martyr who did some good things for a while and then died. No, we're following a living God. We're following a living God. Our King, Jesus. Secondly, in this moment that changes everything, we see the power of God over sin and death. And in that, we see truly who Jesus is. We've referred to a couple of times in recent weeks, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, which tells us very simply, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Christ right here. In the simple words of verse 6, he is not here, he has risen Everything is confirmed of the power of God, of who Jesus is, of the complete truth about him. You see, we can't, hallelujah, see what it would mean if the resurrection hadn't happened. Not like, perhaps, Doc Brown and Marty McFly in the Back to the Future films. They go to the future... And while they're there, something happens. A very simple thing happens. Someone takes a book back and gives it to, his, to him when he, was, when he was younger. And everything changes. They see. They see with their own eyes. Look what would have happened if this happened. But actually we can see. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives us a glimpse. If the resurrection had never happened... 1 Corinthians, if I can get there, chapter 15. I'll read from verse 12. He's confronting those who are arguing, well, I'm not really sure about this idea of resurrection. I'm like, wow. The idea that we could be raised from the dead. He confronts them. But if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we're then found to be false witnesses about God, for we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul paints a picture. Look, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, this is pointless. It's futile. We, 
there is nothing. Your faith is useless. And you're still in your sins. So let's go back to the cross to Friday afternoon. It's Friday. Is Sunday coming? You see, without the resurrection on Friday, we see a man dying a horrific death. To quote Andrew Wilson in his book, God Stories. If the God Stories had stopped on Good Friday, Christianity would be a tragedy. It certainly wouldn't be a gospel. If you pause at the end of Mark 15, you have the most depressing scenario imaginable. Injustice done, a murderer released, the innocent killed, black skies, terrible pain, crying women, and a huge stone in front of the hero's tomb. At 6pm on Friday evening, all our worst fears about the world have been confirmed. Jesus has fought death, and death has won. If Christ has not been raised, then Christianity is a false dawn, a rotten egg, a waste of time. And Christians are the most pitiful people on the face of the earth. Thankfully, Andrew Wilson's next words are, thank God for the third day. Because in these simple words, he is not here, he has risen. In this simple scene of an open door, of an empty tomb, now we can see Friday through the lens of Sunday morning. Now we can see it was Friday, but Sunday came. Now we can see not just a martyr dying a death. No, we see the Son of God dying in our place. We see the conquering king hanging there for our sins. The one who, by his death, defeated him who holds the power of death. As we read in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Then, in light of Sunday morning, we can see that the curtain was torn in two. We can see that as he breathed his last and cried out, It is finished! That was a cry of victory. And in that... We can see even the words of Genesis 3, that this now was the one who was to come, who would crush the head of the serpent, who would deal with sin, who would deal with the devil, who would deal with death. And we can understand that is what is happening here. We understand through the resurrection, the victory of the cross. We see the power of God at work. All because we see on Sunday morning an open, empty tomb and hear those glorious, simple words. He is not here. He is risen. Because the wonderful truth, as we've actually sung already, his power has trampled death and grave, we sang before. Death could not hold him. As Peter would go on to preach on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, we'll look from verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. It was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. Its hold on him. We see in this wonderful moment that changes everything, the power of God and we see Jesus, our risen king. 
We see Jesus, the risen king over every, who has conquered death. But as well as that, we see the truth of Jesus' words. So we go on into verse 7 of Mark chapter 15, uh, 16. Sorry. We've seen that the angel says, He is risen, he is not here. See the place where he laid him. But then he says in verse 7, But go, tell his disciples and Peter, He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. It's all just as he said. Directly, as he told them in Mark chapter 14, he will, meet, he will go ahead of them into Galilee. He will meet them there. And we see that, for example, in John 21, where John, Jesus meets them on the beach. He's just provided them with this miraculous catch of fish again. And he cooks breakfast for them on the beach. We see, it's exactly as he has said. And just as a, an extra point here, we see the grace of God in this moment. Tell the disciples and Peter. We see Peter getting a special separate mention. Tell Peter, I'll see him in Galilee. Tell Peter, I'll see him in Galilee and we'll have a walk along the beach. We'll have a walk along the beach together. And in that moment, I'll ask him, do you love me? And I'll restore him. I'll restore you, Peter. We see right in this moment, at this moment of everything changing, we see that glimpse. Peter's going to be restored. God's going to deal with all the pain of the moment in the courtyards. I don't know him. As they walk along a beach in Galilee. But it is all just as he said. And we could look, everything has happened just as Jesus said. We could look in various places, like in Mark 10, verse 32 to 34. The Son of Man must suffer. He must be handed over to sinful men. He's going to die. But then he's going to rise again on the third day. Just as he said. And we see here at the empty tomb, look, it's all true. All that Jesus has said about himself, all that is written about him in this book. As he would go on to explain to the two on the road to Emmaus, everything from the beginning that's been pointing to me, everything about it, everything about me, everything here, it's all true. Because you've seen it, the tomb is empty, I'm alive. He's alive. You see, it does change everything. And for us, this is the truth of the resurrection. We can know the power of God. We can know the power of his resurrection. As we see in Ephesians chapter 1. Particularly, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. We can know the power of his resurrection in our lives. This is the truth for us, that he 
He is risen, so therefore we have new life in him. He is risen so that we know the power of his life in us. As Paul in Romans 6 talks about, he talks about us being baptized into his death so that just as he was raised, we may live a new life in Christ. Now dead to sin, but alive in Christ. That's the power of what he has done. That's the power of the resurrection. He has won. This moment changes everything. But strangely enough, the passage doesn't end there. There's one more verse. We return to the women. Verse 8. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And you see, in that verse, this passage has a seemingly strange ending. Now, as we read in the other Gospels, their silence is temporary, and they do go on to tell uh, the disciples, and they go on and spread the word. But nevertheless, they've come to the tomb, grieving, confused, expecting this sealed tomb, expecting to find the body of Jesus. Confronted instead with this wonderful, empty tomb, this wonderful news, he has risen. Hallelujah. And then verse 8, and they went away rejoicing, telling everyone what they had just seen. No. No. Trembling, bewildered, afraid. In one sense, perhaps they were just not prepared for what they found in the tomb. There's a big element of surprise, of shock. Look, we expected to find it closed. He's not here. Confusion, perhaps. I just don't understand this yet. I don't understand. But also here, we see in the women's reaction, we see the power of God has been at work. We see that this moment is not only wonderful, joyful, hallelujah, awesome this is awesome God has raised Jesus from the dead Jesus is the son of God he is everything that he said he was so we see the women go away trembling it's important for us also to see here the awesome power of God we come into the we come to the open tomb and we leave it rejoicing and joyful yet also in awe of him, in awe of him. This isn't a trivial moment. It's a wonderful one, an awesome one. So as we close, this is a moment that changes everything. And as a result of it, we can know the power of it in our lives. We can know new life in Christ. This is what it's all about. And like the women eventually did, we have good news to take with us. They may have been quiet for a while. They may have been in fear and trembling, but they told the disciples. You hear in the other gospel, Peter and John come running. We hear that the news then spreads. We have good news to tell about the wonder of the resurrection. I'm going to close just quoting... Uh, some words from a song that we sing, we've sung quite regularly. 
and then we'll pray. Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring the praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. And yes, Jesus, you have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever our God reigns. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names.